The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, He held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me, and he said, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what is to take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I have much I want to share with you today. But I want to begin by simply saying to you that to love is a choice. I've heard so many people in counseling say to me, Pastor, I don't love my wife anymore. Or the the wife saying, I don't love my husband. They stopped making the choice to love. And love died. There are seven stars representing the seven messengers or angels, but that word angel in the Greek simply means messenger. It can be a person, it can be a man, a woman, it can be Jesus, it can be an angel. Here it represents the seven pastors representing the perfect number seven of all the churches of the earth. And the churches are likened to lampstands Lampstands must have a fire burning on them if they're going to give forth light. The churches are to be a place where the Holy Spirit resides, that burn with light, that pierce the darkness and drive it from the church. So let's begin. Let's look at this 
letter to Ephesus. Ephesus is a place known internationally at that day for love. Prostitutes, the goddess of love. It was a city of incredible romance. It was a city that worshipped love. Pagan worship of love. And there has been raised up in Ephesus a church. And Jesus now is going to speak to that church. Listen. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So Jesus is saying, look, I have a pastor. I hold a pastor in my hand. And I walk among the churches. In other words, he is not someone far distant. He is close. He sees what's happening in his church. And he comes with a sword coming out of his mouth. The sword represents Jesus' justice, judgment, dividing bone from marrow, examining the heart. If you're going to be in the church, you're going to be examined very carefully by Jesus. You're going to be sectioned by the word of God to determine the true condition of your heart and then the true condition of the heart of the church. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered. You have endured hardship for my name. And you've not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. The description that Jesus has just given us of this church at Ephesus is of a very active church. They have many programs and outreaches in their congregation. They are hard-working people. They are theologically correct. They carefully examine those who come saying they want to be a teacher to determine whether or not they are, in fact, what they say they are. And they have found many have come saying we're an apostle. But when their life is examined, it's obvious that they are not an apostle, but they are simply a false prophet. In the midst of all of the struggle in the city of Ephesus with the powers of darkness, 
they have persevered and they have endured. They've endured hardship. And they've done it for the name of Jesus. And they've not stopped doing what they were told they should do. They have been faithful. They have sacrificed time and money and energy. But they are lacking something. He says, you have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen? Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. He's saying, I'm going to take away the lampstand that holds the mighty power and fire of the Holy Spirit from your church. And you are going to be left empty and only filled with human activity. But there will be no Spirit of God there. We face this today in America. The American church is hardworking. We have probably more programs going in America than at any time in the history of the church. Every kind of activity goes on. Some of it very profitable for the poor, and some of it empty for entertainment. But staff are hired, buildings are built. It's big business. The problem is the church, as we look at this message to Ephesus, has become an institution. It's become a culture. And the first rule of any institution is self-preservation. So this is a machine. This church is a machine. They're hardworking. They're keeping all of the rules and regulations. They don't tolerate the foolishness of wicked men who want to come and play games. They cast them out. They've suffered. But in the midst of all of this, they've lost that intimate love with Jesus. And he's saying, you have fallen. You have fallen from a great height. He's calling them to repent. But it's not a sentimental repentance. It's a repentance, Jesus says, to do the things you did at first. Well, what did they do at first? They did what any new couple who suddenly finds themselves deeply in love one with another, what do they do? They look at each other. They hold hands with each other. They kiss one another. They spend time together. They waste time together. They begin to do things together. 
go places. Their hearts are melted together. And then they begin to plan their wedding. And they get other people involved. Families come together. There are plans to be made. There's a a wedding gown to be purchased. There's, There's much to do to prepare for the wedding. Well, as they prepare for the wedding, many people are involved. What are they involved in? They're involved in the love between this man and this woman. Marriage is always between a man and a woman. It's not between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. That's a perversion before the holy God of heaven. No, a marriage is between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. God invented marriage. Now we have Jesus coming to the church at Ephesus in the city of love. And he's saying, you have left your first love. You no longer spend time looking at me. You no longer spend time reading my letters. You no longer spend that heartfelt energy creating special things between us. You have turned aside with your busy work. Now, how does that happen? Well, if we go over here to the book of Matthew, chapter 24, he tells us at the end of time how this will happen in the church. He says, Chapter 24, verse 9. You will be handed over to be persecuted, put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Now, note especially... Verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. The love of most will grow cold. Well, I wanted to know, what does the Greek word to grow cold, what does it actually mean? It's a verb. And it means to breathe gently upon. It means to chill slowly. So that one does not even recognize that one is being chilled. Other things begin to come in and take precedence. Other things, other activities become more important. You'd rather spend time watching the television than spending time with Jesus. 
you'd rather spend more time. You've gone through the rituals, you've said your prayers, you've done your duties, and now you want to sit down and watch the game or your favorite television show. Or you want to go out with friends. You want to do things that would not please Jesus. And so off you go with your own pleasure. And as you go through these various activities, hobbies, entertainments, you are seduced away from that intense love for Jesus. And you lose your friendship with him. You lose your intimacy with him. So much so that in the church, the great problem that I've seen time after time is in a prayer meeting, nobody wants to pray. Or if people pray, they just pray about incidental things that don't really matter. They don't open their hearts. Why? Because they haven't been intimate with Jesus. They have no... How do I put it? They don't have any current intimacy to draw their heart into Jesus. Their love is growing cold. We have one person in the National Prayer Chapel who, she has a refrain. I am not going to be lukewarm. And she is moving out of being lukewarm and is becoming one who is on fire for Jesus because she loves him. She spends time with him. She goes into her closet every night and she reads the scriptures and she prays and she deals with very specific issues in her life and in her family's life and in the life of friends and others that Jesus has given her to pray about and she gets answers. If you say to me, Jesus doesn't answer my prayers. He doesn't talk to me. I'd suspect it's not because he's not talking. It's because your ears are closed and you're just not hearing. And what would close our ears? Well, according to Scripture, what closes our ears are calluses. We've been there so long. We've done it so many times. We've lost the sensitivity. We've lost our ability to hear in the spirit. So when a person says to me, God doesn't talk to me, I know what they're saying. They're saying they have been attracted by so many things in their world that they live more in the world of the flesh than the world of the Holy Spirit. 
they're not in the spirit on the Lord's day. So they can't hear. They're deaf. And they can't speak, so they're deaf and dumb. They're shut down. Now, part of what happens in a church when this takes place is that people can get really angry. They can get really angry because they're not having their way. They're not being recognized as being somebody. They're not acknowledged as being someone important. One one woman I spoke with, not even sure if Jesus is real anymore because she's so far away from him, she can't hear him. She's been deeply disappointed by the church. She's been hurt by life's circumstances. Her heart is miserable. I said to her, why don't you go back to Jesus? Well, it won't do any good. What do you mean it won't do any good? He's not listening. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not a problem of Jesus not listening. He's walking in the midst of his church. He's very close. The problem is we can't hear. And our hearts are blocked. Sometimes, sometimes Jesus has stepped away, it felt like. And I've learned through the years not to be panicked when I don't sense the intimacy of Jesus. I know what it is about now. When it seems that Jesus has stepped away from me, he hasn't really stepped away. It's just that he is veiled and I can't see. And I know he has a purpose for seemingly being very distant. And that is, he wants me to recognize distance between us, and he wants me to press in and come closer. And that means getting on my face before Almighty God and crying aloud to him, praying, seeking his face. See, this is not a casual relationship with Jesus. This is not a a relationship between two friends. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is due honor, praise, and glory. And as you worship him, as you read his word, as you get very, very honest with him in your prayer life, intimacy is built between you. I talk sometimes with people and say, have you asked Jesus about that yet? And they say, no, why would I ask Jesus about that? 
because you talk to Jesus about everything. What does a husband and wife that are truly in love do? They talk about everything. They don't hold secrets from one another. They share their lives. When you want intimacy with another person, it requires that you be vulnerable, that you open your heart to them, that you talk about your feelings, you talk about your disappointments, you talk about your expectations. You talk together. That's what it's like with Jesus. Everything is talked about. Prayer is the opening of the heart as to a friend. And you lay it all on the line with Jesus. Now the problem is, we think we have the answer and we don't need to ask Jesus and we don't need to talk with him about it. But we do need to talk with him if we want to be in love with him. And we need to submit our, our thoughts, our choices, the longings of our heart, all have to be open to him. I learned to pray by reading the Psalms. I'd watch in amazement as David in the Psalms held nothing back, totally transparent, even to the point of shaming himself. There are times when I've had to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not feeling very good about what's happening in my life right now. I feel like I've made a very serious mistake. But I don't know what the mistake is. I just don't feel right. I feel a heaviness. I feel blocked with you. Would you please come and and help me understand what's happening between our hearts? I don't want to be distant with you, Jesus. I want to be very close. I want to be one with you. It says, the love of most will grow cold. In other words, the love of most will be chilled by wickedness blowing over their lives. It says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You cannot be intimate with Jesus and not be involved in sharing the gospel, the good news of his kingdom. If you're not involved in what Jesus is involved in, you will be very distant with him. Look now, where do your friends come from? One person said to me, Pastor, I don't have any friends. They were new to an area. 
They said, I don't have any friends. I said, well, what are you doing? Where are you going? I have friends, precious friends. And the reason we're precious friends is because we share together in the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's that coming together for a common purpose that allows a friendship to blossom and grow. If you have nothing in common with that person, you will probably not be very good friends. Friends do things together. If your friend is totally consumed with fishing and you hate fishing, you will not be friends probably at this intimate level for very long. Friends do things with friends. If you want to be close with Jesus, you're going to have to do what Jesus is doing. And what Jesus is doing is building his kingdom. I know many people who are hardworking. They don't tolerate evil people. They live by the rules. They have high expectations. They're very responsible. They do what they're supposed to do. But every time you talk with them, they say, life is hard. I'm enduring. Do you find yourself saying that? Is life hard for you? And are you just enduring, surviving, cranking out each day one at a time? then you've lost your first love with Jesus. Because if you're walking in that intimate love, even the most difficult times are joyous times. Even the most trying circumstances will only draw your heart closer. You see, love is a choice. It's a choice if you're going to love Jesus. And that choice, according to Jesus, means that you will do the things you did at first. Some of you have never done those things. You came into the church because it was theologically convincing of you. You came into the church because it was the right thing to do and because you wanted to miss hell. You didn't want to miss heaven. But you never were truly born from above because you still struggle with your sin. You still walk in habitual wickedness in your mind. You've never gained the victory in your life. The reason you have not gained your Victory in your life is that you have not been born from above 
or you have lost that first love because that love with Jesus gives us the strength, the power by his blood for total victory in Jesus. He says, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Who are the Nicolaitans? I don't know. I've researched it a lot. My father in the faith was Pastor David Wilkerson. I was sitting in his office one day, and I said to him, Brother David, who are the Nicolaitans? He said, I'm not sure, Ray. He said, I, th- I think they are the people who believe they can walk in sin and still be saved. I didn't know. I still don't know who they are. I believe he's correct, however. The great heresy of that day was among the pagans who believed that they did not need a savior who believed that, like gold, their spirit could be dipped in the corruption of the world and it would not influence their spirit and that they were saved and on their way to heaven. Then Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I want you to note that word, overcome. To overcome, you must engage in a battle. The very word, overcome, has inherent in it that I must fight for what I want and for what I believe in. And I must gain the victory over that which I desire to gain the victory over. And Jesus is saying to him who overcomes, that is to him who is willing to fight for my love, who's willing to lay down everything of this world, the flesh and the devil, and seek my love. Remember, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If you want to know what you're seeking, look at what occupies your thoughts. When you're not busy performing the labor of your work, where do your thoughts go? What captivates you? When you have a day off, what captivates you? When you have 
a few moments do you go into a daydream of of what you would like to have but don't? When you have that time, are your thoughts captured with love for Jesus Christ? I've heard people say many times, a marriage is work. You have to decide about love, and then you have to decide to do the things that love requires. (laughs) Whether that's going shopping, bringing your wife a box of chocolates, whether it's cleaning her car, whether it's helping her clean up after a meal or help cook the meal or even give her a time off. You have to give yourself. I've heard people say, marriage is 50-50. No, marriage is not 50-50. Sometimes marriage is 100 zero on the other on the other side you're doing it all but ideally marriage is 100 100 we give all we have for each other and we do those things that we know the other person desires for us to do jesus desires for us let's be very clear jesus desires for us to be involved in kingdom work, to be winning the lost. Who have you brought to Jesus so far this year? I'd almost be convinced that most of you listening have not brought anyone to Jesus. Because when you talk about Jesus, if you do, it's not with passion and love and expectation and hope and desire. It's cold, theological. If we're going to have that love with Jesus, we're going to have to be involved in the work of the gospel which is talking with other people about Jesus and doing things for other people because Jesus wants you to do that. I walked into a Panera's this morning hoping that I could have a A very quick breakfast. The manager was at the door and he invited me in. And instead of ordering food, we began to speak about Jesus. He's a serious Christian man. We began to speak about Jesus. Our hearts were drawn together like one in Jesus. And then finally he said, Pastor, you need to get home and get on that radio. Let me get some breakfast for you. Take a seat, Pastor. 
So I sat down, and in a few minutes, he brought me a tray of breakfast, exactly what I would have ordered. My heart rose up in love toward him. He knew what I needed. What he needed was to have some time to talk together with a brother about Jesus. And so I was happy to do that. I came into his shop full from a morning of study and prayer and preparation. And I poured that out for him. And he responded with his way of showing love, which was to give me a wonderful breakfast. And he covered the cost. This is hospitality. This is brotherly love that we share one for another. If you want to be sure that you are walking in love with Jesus, you're going to have to sacrifice time, energy, and money to reach out in friendship to other people, to share with them, to encourage them, to sacrifice for them. Are you doing that? And do you know the love and intimacy of Jesus? Is your heart filled with hope and with joy? Or have the cold winds been blowing upon your heart? The wickedness of our age, has that been blowing on your heart? So that you have begun to cool off you're lukewarm. You're getting cold. Oh, you know all the intellectual answers. You can argue it at great length about theology. But who have you sacrificed for? Who have you said to a, a couple, could we come over and take care of your children so you guys can go out and, and have a date? What are you doing to love other people, to pour your heart out for them? It's the cold wind of the world that blows on our hearts and causes us to become institutional Christians filled with all kinds of information and truth, but no passion and no love. And Jesus is saying, repent. Do again the works you did at first. If a husband and a wife are beginning to be distant one with another, there has to be a turnaround. And that turnaround happens when one spouse or the other begins to be very honest with the other one about how they feel and what they want and they begin to be very direct in giving to that other spouse. Doing things that would draw their hearts. For love is a choice. And sometimes we don't feel like loving somebody because we're angry with them. 
it astonishes me that that Christians can become so angry with one another because they're right. They're legal. They know. But they're hard-hearted. They're defensive. They're bitter. They're angry. My dad used to always say, Raymond, you can catch something with honey, but not with, but not with vinegar. So you have to decide. What are you going to do with Jesus? Has your heart grown cold? Have you stopped doing things you used to do? Have you stopped reading the scriptures for that hour a day? Have you turned aside from your prayer life? Do you now just shoot quick prayers up to heaven? Or do you sit down, kneel down, lay on your face on the carpet, and get really honest with Jesus about your heart's condition? It's to the person who is willing to overcome, to fight for the love. Some of you need to fight for the love of your wife or your husband instead of fighting with them. And you fight for love by giving love, by giving forgiveness, by giving mercy. You're not concerned with being right. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. We were blocked from the tree of life by betraying the Lord God of heaven and eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Knowledge does not produce love. Love is a choice of the heart. What's your choice? Lord Jesus, we've come to the end of this broadcast today, and I am asking that you would quicken our hearts, that you would breathe upon us and stir us with a, a deep need and feeling of your presence. Lord, this world rips and tears at us and tries to steal everything about you that is holy and good. Lord, I pray now for each person that they will make the decision to fight for love. Love for you, Jesus, and for each other. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I want to thank those of you who have shown such love and such compassion for the gospel, who've been so kind and supportive with your messages to me. Thank you for what you have given. Thank you for making it possible to pay for this radio broadcast. So, you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 
2212195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. We're halfway through this month, and soon another radio bill will be due. This is a monthly occurrence, and I am so grateful for those of you who give a set amount every month. And then when there's a greater need, you'll even double up. Thank you. That's how we've been able to remain on the air. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. You'll find this broadcast and others that you could listen to or watch. Seek Jesus with all your hearts. Don't be distracted. Seek his face. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. To keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.